You are listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast, an honest and non-judgmental discussion on faith in God and the doubts we often have, why it's sometimes difficult to trust God, and how we can know with a surety that He loves us. This show centers on strengthening and rebuilding our faith after loss, tragedy, or when coming to Christianity from a non-Christian or pseudo-Christian worldview. Now, here is your host, Gene Curl. Thanks, everybody, for uh, joining us here on Recovering Faith Podcast. Uh, today, I've got a special guest, uh, Caleb Alexander, or is he goes, uh, goes by Alex. Uh, you want to tell him a little bit about about yourself and uh, how you got in the church? Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I am the oldest grandson of a uh, non-denominational preacher. He was more Baptist-leaning, but they had a non-denominational church called Bible Christian Church in the Grand California. And I, uh, I grew up uh, really bitter against the church that I grew up in because my mother was an alcoholic drug addict, and I saw my father every other weekend when I went to church. So I had kind of a bipolar childhood, so to speak. And uh, my grandfather always talked of hell, of course, because that's what a lot of preachers do. And my, I was convinced my mother was going to burn in hell, and that really concerned me. And, uh, you know, when I got to be a teenager, I kind of... Um, I went her way more than my father's way, um, and I uh, first met some missionaries, actually, when I was 18. Me and a, one of my girlfriends were actually living together, and they knocked on the door, and usually I was very rude to Joe Witnesses or Mormons, but uh, for some reason I wanted to invite him aside, probably because it was 95 degrees outside Central California, very uh, very hot summer we had that year, and uh, they were in shirts and ties, and I felt kind of bad for them. And I invited them in. I never expected I'd join their church, and I didn't for a couple more years after that, actually. But uh, um, I ended up moving to St. George, Utah in 1996. I was 20 years old, and I just wanted to get away from the crime in Stockton, California, and Merced, California. I grew up in both of those cities. Um, I took three missionary lessons before moving to St. George, and just kind of a curiosity thing. And then I met some uh, gentlemen on a word mission night and uh, one of the men who baptized me, he became like a father to me. Um, him and his wife, they actually invited me into their home and they barely knew me because I was living with a cousin who was involved in methamphetamine and uh, they didn't want me after baptism to be involved in that. So um, it was just kind of a, I didn't know if I believed it. I mean, even what I was being told and stuff, but uh I, I liked the brotherhood in the church. That was the biggest pull for me. And I did like their view on families as well. Um, and I'm not sure if I really believe their view on families like, like that anymore, but uh, I kind of liked the idea of it. And I, I did like, you know, the camaraderie that I felt in the LDS church. So, um, and I, I was willing and able at that point to put away some things, but uh, that I didn't agree with. And... I mean, the first hymn I ever heard in the church when I visited in Stockton, California, was Praise to the Man. And <laughs> my first thought was, they do worship Joseph Smith. My grandfather was right about these people. And eventually I, I just started even liking the hymn. It became my favorite hymn after a while. Um, but that's more or less how I joined the church. There's quite a long story to it, but, uh, you know, I did end up uh, meeting a girl, and we did wait a year to go to the temple. Um, I was definitely not ready at that point. I met my wife in 98 and, uh, we were sealed 
and we were sealed in 1999, a year and a month after we were married civilly, as they like to call it. And her parents are very unhappy the fact that we did not go in the temple right away, obviously. I mean, for anyone who knows, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of an important thing. And uh, her grandfather, who was a great man, he, he's passed away for many years now, but he actually pulled me aside. So I want to welcome you to the family, but I want you to know that you are getting a marriage and a divorce at the same time because in the afterlife, you just will not have her. And I want to know that you're going to take my granddaughter in the temple because she deserves that, and I want that for her. And I assured him I was, and I did. And he's actually the one that officiated while we went through the we went through and got our endowments and during our sealing. Her so, grandfather was the one that officiated that. So the first and, time you went through the temple, I know a lot of people uh, find it's kind of strange. So the first time you went to the temple, did that cause you any issues, or did you uh, think it was uh, odd or anything like that? I thought it was really strange, and I expected more, to be honest with you. I did not expect to see what I did in the temple. Um, I did enjoy, obviously, the celestial room, um, but the whole ceremony I found to be very weird. And, you know, it, it there, there's a lot of veiled threats there, obviously. And it was just a very strange process. But, you know, as, as a lot of people, I just put it away and thought, no, just go with it. You know, and they always point to the verse in Peter about being a peculiar people, a royal priesthood and stuff. I thought, well, this is just peculiar. So just go with it for a while. It's okay. They ever tell you that the more you go to the temple, the more stronger your testimony will be of the temple and the more you'll know it's true? Yes, I heard that a lot, too. Yeah, and... I, I did, too. And it never, it always seems strange every time I went. But the first time I went to the temple, I was like, whoa, this is odd. I, I'm in a cult. And then I immediately scalded myself for saying that and said, oh, no, that's a sin for thinking that. And I just don't understand it. <clears throat> oh, yeah, absolutely. I understand that. But, yeah, I did find it very strange. And then, uh, you know, just little things like that. I was always told that there were pentagrams in the temple, and I did see stars, but they weren't inverted. So I thought, oh, well, they're not inverted stars. So and that's what I was told a pentagram was. You know, I grew up listening to bands like Slayer, and they had the pentagrams on their music or their CDs and stuff. So I thought, well, it's, it's not the same thing. But, yeah, to answer your question, it was very, very strange. And it, it never really got much easier. Um for me, but I just did it because it was expected, and I found out, you know, uh, well, about three, four years ago, I realized that I was doing things for other people, and I wasn't, I wasn't, I was active at times, very active, and sometimes I'd pay tithing, sometimes I wouldn't, you know, I, I'd get to a point where they would tell me I'm on fire, they'd give me a calling, and then I would get inactive again, because I think there was something inside me, prohibiting me from going too far in the church, to be honest. I would never say that I was the best Mormon, so to speak. Um, I didn't like it towards that point because, like I said, I was doing things for other people. When my sister-in-law, who has Down syndrome, sweetheart of a, of a girl, just one of my favorite people in the world, she's 28 now. When she was 26, she went to the temple. And my mother-in-law gave us the whole thing, hey, no empty seats, we want everybody here. Um, a couple people couldn't make it. My brother-in-law from Texas couldn't, but everyone else that, you know, my sister-in-law had a baby. Other sister-in-law had a baby, so she couldn't make it, but, uh, everybody else was there. And I got in the temple and we, we had paid our tithing for about three, four months to be able to get our temple recommend. The bishop said, I want you to attend church, pay your tithing. So we did all, everything we were asked to do. And I thought, no, I'm, I'm not doing this for me. And I, I'm just doing this because it's expected. And this is 
what I'm supposed to do, and I, I didn't like that. And then um, we we did end up going, obviously, and it was, you know, I didn't feel good about it, but I did it for her, basically. And then uh, we did the same when my nephew got married and went through the temple up there with him in Salt Lake, and I thought the same thing, doing this for other people. Why am I even here anymore? And the real kicker was, you know, about uh, my son turned 18 last April, and was president of the seminary class is just a good kid, very what they would call a spirit-filled kid, uh, does service for others. And he turns 18, and he comes to me and says, Dad, I just talked to the state president, and I don't think I want to serve a mission. God is telling me not to. And I was like, okay, son, you know, that's fine. This is your choice. I said, but, you know, I want to make sure you're not going to regret it later because they always say, oh, you're going to regret not serving a mission. So, uh, well, one thing I always notice in the church is that when they tell you to pray about things, if you get the expected answer, it's from God. And if not, then it's not from God. They tell you to pray again. But Oh, absolutely. But, you know, I told somebody one time they're trying to. Uh, once I actually left the church and told them that I did that I felt the church wasn't true, and they told me I needed to pray again, and I said, "You can't pray again. Look where that got Martin Harris." <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> well, you know, and the same thing with my son, though. Um, I hadn't been active in a little while after we uh, went to my nephew's ceiling. Um, I got active and started paying tithing again because I didn't want my son to not have support back home. I didn't want him to think I got you know an active family back home when I'm on a mission here. And then when he decided not to serve a mission, I told myself I'm done because I don't believe this anymore and I'm not going to do this for other people. It's not the right way to do it anyway. And of course, you know, my father-in-law found out and said, well, God will never tell you not to serve a mission. Well, it says in the Old Testament that my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I thought, how do these people actually know what God thinks if the Bible itself says you don't always know what God's going to do? And you're not meant to know what God's going to do all the time. If his ways are not your ways and his thoughts are not your thoughts. And so I I was uh, just inactive. And just a couple months ago, back in October, um, I was having a real crisis of faith. I knew that it was going to be a hard time because my wife was still... I'll get to her a little bit more later. She wasn't really devout, but she felt she was devout. And she later confessed that she wasn't as devout as she was letting on. But um, I was driving in my work vehicle listening to Sirius Satellite Radio, and uh, I was listening to Joel Osteen. And I thought, okay, well, I'm not a huge fan of, you know, the, what do they call those? The uh, prosperity prosperity gospel? Sure, you know, because they're giving people a big line a lot of the time anyway. But... At the end, he said, uh, we never, in our broadcast, without inviting someone to accept Jesus into their heart. And so I said the prayer that he said, and immediately I felt the Spirit just enter me, and I felt really, really good about it. And my grandfather always told me that I'd be a preacher, but with my bitterness and stuff, I never wanted to be part of that faith at all. Um, And I felt automatically that, hey that calling still stands pal and I've got a plan for you and you've got a story to tell and you need to tell it and I you know went to my wife and I told her what had happened I said look and I know you don't believe this but this is what's going on and she says I don't know what to think you know this she was really afraid about the eternal family thing 
that concerned her because she told me, and she's changed her mind recently, luckily, but she told me, I can't go to church that doesn't believe in eternal families. I said, well, dear, if, if it's not true, what does it make a difference if they believe it or not? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know, if it's not a true ordinance and it's not a true thing that God does, and, and the Bible does say it's not. And I knew all these verses in the Bible. I know it very well. Um, so when I talked to you before, you had said that you guys were, uh, that it was what your uh, uh, anniversary of being in the church, and you guys were going to uh, go talk to the bishop. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so how did that turn out? Well, I was baptized December 15th, 1996, and we talked to the bishop on December 16th, just last week. Uh, it went as well as expected. I, my wife was there to keep me calm because I really feel I was lied to, and I feel betrayed. And the bishop is a good man. He really believes what he, what he says, and he does believe the church. And I just let him have it, basically. I just told him, hey, you know, I... This, these are my concerns, and I gave him the whole list. We went through the essays. I went through the Bible. I went through the Book of Mormon, not matching up with the, what the church believes, you know. And he told me, I don't have any answers, but if you want to write down all your concerns, I will try to get the answers for you. And I told him, man, that would take hours. You don't understand. I could write a novel on my concerns right now. And then he asked my wife how she felt about it, and she said, this is not what I was taught to believe. This is not what I was taught growing up, and I don't believe it either. I'm with my husband on this, and then he said, well, if, you know, if you're attending another church, we're going to excommunicate you. He didn't say those words. He says, we'll have your names taken off. You won't, you know, he didn't say excommunicate. He didn't want to throw that word up there. Yeah, it's kind of um, harsh. Yeah. But he said, when you join another church, and he doesn't understand much. I mean, you don't just join a non-denominational church, typically. You just start going. It's not like you have to get baptized and fulfill all these requirements to join, like the Mormons and the Catholics. You know what I mean? Yeah. But and, in the eyes of the church, even if you don't officially on paper join another church, if you go to another church and you consider yourself part of that church, that in and of itself is enough for them to excommunicate you. That's understandable, yeah. I, I believe that's basically what he was saying. <laughs> but— I told I told him we're, I've talked to my wife about this because then he started talking about well you're going to lose your temple ceiling you're going to lose this and that so these are the consequences and he said I hate that word consequences but that's what it is and um, he said now if you leave the church and your wife stays she gets she gets to keep her blessings and all this stuff and I thought well that's kind of a veil threat there you know that's kind of a guilt thing saying hey well your wife's going to have blessings but you're not and you know you're not going to have your eternal family but and he said well if you don't believe it it's not going to matter to you anyway so I told him that we would. Uh, we would talk together, and then we would let them know our decision. And we made our decision, and we're going to let them excommunicate us. You know, plain and simple. I'm not going to go explain anything else to anyone, anybody there. I don't owe an explanation to anybody. And, you know, I think we, we felt that that's the proper way. We're just going to play it by ear right now, keep attending the non-denominational church we're attending, and let the cards fall where they may. Yeah, I, w I decided to do a more proactive, I mean, instead of waiting for them to to excommunicate me, I decided to just go ahead and ask them to remove my records. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, so I did that after, but I, uh, I mean, after I left the church, I was lost my faith for a while and it wasn't until I became born again that I decided to have them remove my records. So I see But <clears throat> So how's, uh, your family, her family, how's your family, uh, taken the news or have you told them yet? 
Well, the family I have told so far are ex- my family are extremely ecstatic because obviously they're non-denominational. And my grandmother passed away back in October, 90 years old. Um, she was the preacher's wife. Um, we and her had, had debates over the years, but the last three years she was not coherent and really didn't remember who I was or anything. She'd always tell me, son, just believe in the Bible. That's all you need to do. She always called me son because she practically raised me. She was very much a mother to me. And I went there for her funeral. I talked to my aunt, and I told her that uh, three months ago I, you know, I, or something like that. I don't know. I don't know the timeline, <laughs> actually. But I told her I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior again. And she was, of course, very happy about that. I talked to the preacher who took over from my grandfather and told him that, you know, you're uh you weren't the reason I left the church, and I gave him a list of reasons, including the way people treated my father in the church. He was a Vietnam vet. He was mentally ill. People, And he was a smoker, too, and for for much of my life he was. He did quit at eight years before he passed away in 2001. But, you know, it was there's a lot of reasons, and I let him know why I had uh, left the church. But I'm getting off a tangent here, but the, my family's very happy. Her family, we have not completely told them yet. I told my wife that... You know, she said, it's my family, my parents, my timeline. Fine, that's, that's okay. I've been wanting to sit down with everybody and tell them. Yeah. Our uh, son actually is his 14th birthday today, which is ironic because it's also the anniversary of Joseph Smith's birthday, <laughs> December 23rd. Um, he's turning 14 today, and he's going to get a call in a little bit here. They're going to sing him happy birthday, and they're going to say, hey, you're going to be ordained a teacher. And he's going to say, no, I'm not actually. I'm going to a different church now. And yeah. I told him the same thing. It's your choice, son. You can. I, my 15-year-old still attends our ward right now. My 15-year-old daughter. And so, and, from what I gathered from talking to you before, that that you're not trying to pressure your kids or any of your family to leave. You're just letting them do their own thing, right? <laughs> absolutely. I mean, like the the pa- the pastor told me at the church. He says, "Hey, man, you changed the rules recently. Don't push him too hard because you raised him in this way. This way." And if you push him too hard, they're gonna they're gonna resent you. And he's right. That's so I true. told my 15 year old, you can go to the church if you want. She likes young men's, young women's, whatever. Um, and she does it more for social. She won't admit to it, but we know her very well. And there are a lot of social pressures, especially in Utah. Absolutely. And we live in southern Utah, and that's really really devout down here. So, but. You know, she goes. She does go to church with me. She went to church with me today, and then I went and dropped her off at the ward afterwards. So she's a little late for sacrament, and she, you know, today they got out early, but, um, yeah. So that's, and her, my my wife's family is going to be very unhappy though. Her parents both serve missions. John Murdoch and the Doctrine of Covenants is uh, her great 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 grandfather. Um, her dad was in Area 70 in Chicago when she was growing up. There's just a lot of it's very deep seated, and when she brought up some issues to her father, because they they know something's going on, and I'll explain that too. Um, on Thanksgiving, our 18 year old son took his grandpa in the bedroom and said, "Hey, we're, we, I'm doubting the faith. This is some concerns I have, and um, my parents have taken off their garments." So he told them that, and we told, wanted to wait till after the holiday to let them know what was going on. But they haven't come out and said anything yet, and they're probably at this point thinking we're just going through a small phase and that it's going to pass and it'll be okay. And um, they haven't got to talk to my wife yet, and 
the other night we were went to a Christmas party. My wife talked about packing for me because I forget things. And she says, "What does he?" Her mom said, "What does he forget?" And she says, well, "Like underwear and stuff." She's like, "You mean garments?" Oh. My wife said, "No underwear. I'm talking about underwear." She just told her that, and she's like, "Oh." So and so you have what? was your your oldest son, your 18 year old. Uh, has he been ordained elder? Yes, he has. He was ordained an elder in early May. He turned 18 on the 29th of April, but he has not gone through the temple. Okay. And he is not planning to go through the temple as far as I know. Yeah, because they usually but, wait to send you through the temple until after you've got your mission call. Oh, they do? Yeah. Uh, so basically, it's like the way it works at the temple. It's like do you go to the temple just before you get married or just before you go on a mission? Or if you haven't gone through the mission... I mean, if you haven't served a mission and if you haven't got married, uh, once you're in your mid-20s, they'll go ahead and let you go anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, <clears throat> at least that's the way it was when I went to the temple. I mean, uh, with this uh, new prophet changing all the rules at a rapid-fire pace and never know what's going on now. I mean, they just recently changed the rules that sister missionaries can wear can wear pants. I heard about that. <laughs> Yeah, I actually met uh, met Russell M. Nelson once in uh, in the Morningside Ward. He was there for the um, state conference when he was still an apostle, and this was, gosh, this was 2003, 2004. And I meet him in the hallway, and I shake his hand. He says, brother, you need to go home and shave. That's the only dealing I ever had with him. And I told my wife, he doesn't seem like a very warm, nice man. You know, that's just my experience with him. But... <laughs> That little side note there that you find interesting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, I've met a few of them. I've met I've met quite a number of the um, of the general authorities, and uh, I even met President Hinckley on my mission. Oh wow! And um, I like to tell the short little story. It was uh, me and a few other missionaries, and he came up to say hi to us as he was walking back out to his car, and after the uh, uh, meeting and everything, and and he stopped and he said. He said, you guys sure aren't much to look at, but you're all the Lord's got, and that's a fact. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully he was jesting, but... <laughs> uh, probably, but, you know, he was pretty far up there in age, so who knows? Oh, yeah. I mean, it yeah, seems... He was the prophet when I joined the church, President Hinckley. He was there for a long time. Yeah, I joined in 96, and he was there for quite a long time. Yeah, he was. And he I... was there a long time. To be honest, I kind of liked Mons, and I kind of enjoyed his talks, but... Uh... Yeah, Russell Nelson, when he took over, I didn't have a very good feeling about it either. That's probably one of the other reasons that I decided to leave. There's many, many, many reasons. In fact, I'm thinking of writing a book about it because I could write a book about all the reasons. I've talked to a lot of people recently that's still in the church that have admitted that it bothers them with all the rules, with everything being changed right now about the church and the fact that Nelson says that the church is still being restored. He said that uh, if you think the church has been fully restored, you haven't seen anything yet. And then yeah. he, so, and uh, see, when I was in the church, I was under the impression, and I'm, I was even taught that the church had been fully restored, and it was at that point exactly the same as the church Jesus organized when he was on the earth. Mm-hmm. And now they say that it hasn't been fully restored, and it's still being restored. <clears throat> and so that's that's kind of a bit different. Yeah, I've I've had concerns with that as well, but we're we're pretty much have one foot out the door. And I'm, I'm trying to talk to my wife into having us just get our name removed from the records, but 
I don't know. I think she took it as a challenge from the bishop when he said, that's how she is. She's very competitive. If someone says she can't do something or someone threatens her with something, she's going to be like, yeah, bring it. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, if you guys and, do decide uh, that you want to get your name records removed, it's actually pretty easy. I've got a, if you go to my website, uh, genecurl.com, I've got a, I've got a, a page on there that in that explains how to get your records removed and everything and it was pretty easy procedure it takes a couple weeks for it to be processed but you know it's pretty painless yeah the bishop made it sound like it was you know he said well i'm gonna have you write me a full letter and then we'll give you 30 days and then if 30 days you don't change your mind i'm gonna send it to the state president it's like ugh. Yeah, see, it just seems so much easier and quicker to be excommunicated. You, you know see, what, I mean? what I did is I wrote a letter and sent it to the church membership department. And mm -hmm. then they said, but I made sure to tell them that I was a born-again Christian and that I knew Jesus was at all we needed and that anything other than anything that teaches anything other than Jesus is not Christianity and that I did not want any contact from the church other than them telling me my record's been removed. So they sent me a letter back saying that it was an ecclesiastical matter and they had to get approval from my stake president. Then they forwarded my letter to the stake president uh, saying the stake president would probably contact me. Well, um, about two weeks later, I got another letter in the mail saying that my records had been removed and that I was no longer a member of the church and my temple ordinances and all that had been canceled and so forth and so on. And so... Uh, I think because of the way I wrote the letter and because I told them that I was uh, a born-again Christian, I think they figured it was pointless and there was no need to try to convince me to come back, and they decided to get rid of me. So Sure. Well, the only issue with telling them that uh, we don't want any contact is we have a 15-year-old still attending. Oh, yeah. They'll need permission for certain things. So. Oh, yeah, I understand I, that. Your situation is We don't hate our neighbors. Mine, yeah. we, don't, we don't dislike our neighbors. They're good people. Mm, yeah. um, I don't know how they're going to think about us when we when it's becomes completely official but and you know and, and just for the record you know i i don't have anything against uh, lds people in fact i think they're great people and whenever i see missionaries i will uh, if i have the opportunity i'll i'll uh, buy them lunch or whatnot because you know oh, yeah. uh i remember what it was like being on a mission i've had people throw beer bottles at me and stick their dogs on me and even somebody shot at me so I mean, no matter what you believe, there's no absolutely no excuse for for treating somebody else poorly. I mean, uh, and it's definitely not not the Christ-like way either. No, absolutely not. So, no, we're the same way. We have nephews and nieces that have been on missions, and they're still so going to be a lot going to be going, and we want them treated with respect. So we do the same thing. We, as a matter of fact, we bought the missionaries lunch the other day at a fast food restaurant here when we saw them. So. We've done that for a long time, and we'll continue to do that probably. I, I think the missionaries, I think the mission here in Joplin, Missouri, I think the mission president has probably told the missionaries that they're not allowed to come talk to me anymore because um, <laughs> the, some, well, I, had an, I think my ex-wife sent the missionaries to my house hoping I would come back. And uh -huh. when they came, I invited them in, and I was polite with them, but I told them all of the reasons why I left the church, and it was it became quickly apparent to them that I knew a lot more about the church history and about church doctrine than they did, and they didn't have a they didn't even uh, they didn't even think they had an answer for anything that I said, and they didn't know what to think, and so I told them I said, well, I know this isn't gonna you're not just gonna get up and leave your mission and leave the church and everything, but all I would ask is that is that when you leave your mission and go home at the end of your mission and when you're allowed to think about these things, do some research and check these things out for yourself because 
anything that is true will stand up to examination. So very true. But then uh, I haven't had any missionaries contact me since. And uh, and then some, well, actually I did. So some missionaries had, tra- had met me and then they, uh, I told them they could come over and, you know, after I'd moved to a different area of town. And so, yeah, they were going to come over. And then, then one day they just called and left a message and said they couldn't come. And then I hadn't heard from them since. So that's why I'm kind of assuming that the mission president told them they couldn't talk to me because I know on my mission, um, we were taught that uh, if there's somebody inactive or somebody who left the church but they but they didn't belong to another church, you could go ahead and talk to them, and it was encouraged. But if there was somebody that was considered an apostate, somebody who had left and uh, speaks out against the church or has joined another church, that we were forbidden from talking to them because they were afraid that instead of us bringing them back, it would cause us to lose our testimony. Well, truth is a very painful thing for people to hear. So, and it, I, I, I don't agree with their thinking there, but I, I guess from their standpoint, I can see what they're what they mean by that. But I don't know. I, I, I will always treat the missionaries with respect, but I'm not gonna, you know, let them tell me things that aren't true and stuff. And I would let them know the sort of reasons if they ask me. I mean, I work with a kid who just got off his mission. He's 20 years old, and he was trying to convince me the other night to come back and. You know, I told him, you don't really want to get into this with me right now, guy, you know, <laughs> but we, we talked a little bit about it and he's like, yeah, I don't know the answers to that. And it's like, well, that's why I'm leaving because I don't know the answers to that. And I don't have a reasonable explanation for it. And what the church wrote in their essays is not reasonable at all. And they were basically fudging everything over the old song and dance. The thing that bothered me a lot, I mean, these, uh, these church, this church essay series started in 2013 and I had already left the church by that point. Mm-hmm. But when I discovered this church essay series, I was kind of upset because uh, when I was active in the church before I went inactive or anything, I had a lot of questions. And I went to my stake president and asked him about them. And uh, he told me that uh, he said to me, he's like, Brother Curl, I don't know the answers, but if you keep asking questions like this, I'm going to be forced to excommunicate you. And so at that point, I was upset and went inactive for a long time. But a lot of the things that, a lot of the things that he had, uh, that I was told I couldn't ask about, are now part of the essay series. And then anybody can just go to the church's website and read them. And that kind of upset me that they threatened to excommunicate me for asking about things that the church now just puts out there. Finally admits to. Yeah, like well, Joseph I didn't know Smith's, about the essays. Like Joseph Smith's polygamy, for instance, that was a big thing. Like. Oh, yeah. I had always been told that Brigham Young had a lot of wives because obviously they couldn't deny that. But they said that Brigham, that Joseph Smith only had the one wife. And then on my mission, somebody told me uh, about a website that proved he had more than one wife. And when I came home, I found out it was true. And I asked that was one of the things I asked about. And then now in well, in 2013, when they I think it was 2013 when they published that essay about polygamy in the Nauvoo area. And they talked about Joseph Smith and admitted to the wives that he had, including the ones that were uh, underage and including the ones that had living husbands when he married them. So, uh-huh. the, so and that was big, kind of a big deal. <laughs> well, yeah, that was what pushed my wife over the edge, was reading about him marrying other women that were already married. And that, there was a couple different things, but that was one of the kickers right there. And then she tried to discuss what uh, he talked about with the women in the priesthood and the priesthood powers in another essay with her dad, and her dad completely denied it. So that is just not true. It doesn't say that. 
and she tried to tell him, hey, she showed it to him, and he still denied it. That That is a thing at all. And he said, no, that just means they do initiatories in the temple. And no, it's not what it said. And then he said, well, I'll talk about it. And then she that's when she's like, they think I'm stupid, and I'm tired of it. So, but yeah, the polygamy was the biggest thing with her, um, definitely. But it's, it's kind of alarming to think that he was doing that. And then, you know, DNC 132, where he threatens to destroy Emma, you know, or excuse me, God threatens to destroy Emma. Uh, if she doesn't, you know, condone what he's doing. It, sound, it sounded to me like a man who's just trying to have his cake and eat it, too. Yeah, that's but. what I thought. I mean, I highly recommend anybody that's in the church or anybody that's even remotely interested in the church to read um, No Man Knows My History by Fawn M. Brody. And uh, even though she was dissatisfied with the church, that book was written from a purely from a historian's point of view, and she only put things in, good or bad, that could be verified. And mm-hmm. so she wrote it as a historian, and so that was uh, that is a really good read. Uh, and was of she course, excommunicated? <laughs> uh, no, I think she left on her own. Okay. And then, and then there was, uh, of course, uh, was it? Oh, I'm trying to remember which one which one it was, but he, it was uh, his name's escaping me at the moment. Um, but he he had this uh, wrote this letter to CES teachers, and he told them that uh, he said not he said sometimes CES teachers have a, the impulse to teach everything that happened in the church, and he said but some, but not everything that is true is useful, and he. he encourage them to stick with the official lesson manual and not teach other things that happen in the church, even if they can back it up in church sources, because those things cause people to doubt the church. And I'm like, oh, okie dokie. Yeah. Well, I think I uh, heard about that one, actually. But one of the most inspirational things I heard was Michael Wilder from Adams Road. But his, uh, he had a thing on YouTube we talked about when he questioned on his mission. And a Baptist minister had told him, read the New Testament like a child, which is what I did when I heard that. And I I wasn't reading any or listening to any, quote unquote, anti LDS stuff until I had read the essays. And to be honest, I didn't know about the essays until September, October. I mean, I didn't know they even existed until recently because the church is not very, you know, they don't promote them. Well, they published them, but they don't publicize them yeah i mean exactly. i think it was their legal department that put them up there that way they could say we never denied this yes yeah so i think i think it's their legal department because i found out uh i discovered from from that same talk it was uh, uh boyd k packard he's the one that i was trying to think of his name a while ago but it was from that same talk a letter to ces from boyd k packard that i learned that Anyone in the church who is going to give a talk, including the uh, prophet himself, he has to write his talk up ahead of time and then give it to the uh, church's, uh, uh, it's not the legal department really, It's the uh, but it's the department in the church that makes sure that everything is in line with the official church teachings and they run it through to make sure it doesn't contradict other stuff and whatnot and suggest changes before they give their talks in general conference. And before that point, I had always assumed that the pro- that the president, the prophet, and the apostles could just get up there and say whatever they wanted. I didn't know that they were censored as well. So yeah, I didn't know that either. That's insane. 
So you learn something new every day, I guess. I did not know that. And now, and granted, now that there could be that there is a small possibility that that's not true, and that Boyd K. Packard was just said that. But knowing Boyd K. Packard, I highly doubt it. I don't think he would ever say anything that he thought would hurt the church in any way, shape, or form, because he's about as, as as far as the church goes, he's about as much of a straight arrow as you can get. Oh, he was hardcore, yeah. <laughs> and I've heard that the senior leadership always, uh, they always do the speaking unless the junior leadership is already, has asked specific questions to keep the, you know damage control down and stuff like that. Yeah. I've heard of that recently too, which it makes sense from what I've seen the them all speak. It's usually always the people like Boyke Packer that would say something, but yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, and so it was, and I, you know, I'd realized recently, especially after going uh, going back and reading some journals from when I was like super into the church, I realized that I was kind of that I was trying so hard to do everything the church wanted. I was trying so hard to follow this impossible standard that I was that I was being extremely self-righteous and judging everybody for not following the standards of the church. And Oh yes. yes and I understand I, that totally. And I, I feel bad that I was that way, but I and I hate to admit it, but I definitely was self-righteous and judging everybody. <laughs> yeah, I did the same thing. You know, when uh the women in the priesthood thing came out and people were being excommunicated for that you know, I, was, I remember being on Facebook pages, and I've made comments like, oh, well, they're separating the wheat from the tares, you know, and the church is trimming the fat. We're losing the, the dead weight. And I find that ironic because now I feel bad about saying that. And I've actually got on Facebook and apologized to a couple people personally that I said that to. And I've, I've kind of been debating with some of these people for a while, but uh, now I'm basically one of the tares, according to the church, and I'm the fat about to be trimmed. What? So, I do I, understand where you're coming from on that. I don't remember if I told you this on my mission, or, or I mean, on our previous conversation or not. But I had this <clears throat> on my mission, my second to last area. We uh, tracked it into this lady, knocked on her door, you know, and and after talking to her for a while, she told me that in she said in ten years you won't be a member of the church. Well, she didn't say it to my mission opinion, just to me, and I thought that was kind of curious, but. She told me, oh, she yeah. said, you won't be a me- member of this church in 10 years. And I said, I said, yeah, well, in fact, I'll do better than that. In 20 years, I'll come back and I'll show you that I'm still a member of the church. And I'd forgot all about that until um, a couple, well, maybe a month or two ago. I was reading through my mission journals and I re- came across that. And I realized that from the time she told me that, I was like, man, it wasn't even nearly 10 years before I left the church. So, Yeah, well, that's interesting. <laughs> Some people, I think, just have kind of the spirit with them, and uh, that definitely could have been one of those uh, one of those moments. And uh, it was kind of it was kind of interesting. You had said your son, uh, your eighteen year old, you know, about him not serving a mission. So has is does he still go to the LDS church at all, or has he become born again, or where is he at? Well, he works a lot of Sundays, sadly, so he hasn't been able to attend <laughs> church with us. But he is presently searching. He went and had his own conversation with the bishop. Um, one of the biggest things is his present girlfriend is a member of the church, mm. and he is – he. well, I should tell you, though, we went up for a Christmas party um, last Tuesday. We went up to Salt Lake for a Christmas party. My wife's company had one. We went to my sister-in-law's house, and her son just got back from a mission about six months ago. Great kid. We really care about him. 
he told us, well, I'm going to call, I'm going to call CJ and try to convince him to go on a mission. And we hadn't, you know, outed ourselves yet. So we told him, well, it's probably not a good idea. And we don't recommend you doing it. No sooner we walked out the door, he called my son who mm. proceeded to tell him about the essays and gave him a whole litany of things that he found wrong with the church Uh-oh. and the reasons why he's not serving a mission. And all our nephew could really say was, well, like any prophet, Joseph Smith was not perfect. And he just gave the base, basic what a missionary would probably say about that. So he is still questioning. We have given him free reign. He's obviously 18 years old. He's a, And he's very mature for his age, which when I was told by my father-in-law that he was deceived by Satan, I told him that I've known that kid obviously since the day he was born. He has never been anything but, you know, very charitable and very good with everybody. If there's a person in the school that's sitting alone eating lunch, he'd be the first to go over there and sit with him and invite him to be be with him and his friends because the kid's got a very Christ-like spirit about him. He's he's not like any 18-year-old I ever knew, especially myself. I was a horrible 18-year-old. But he's always been this really good kid, so they said he's deceived by Satan. It's like, there's no way. That he's deceived by Satan. Don't ever tell me that about my kid again. A lot of people in the church, that's kind of their go-to. Um, that's a go-to response for anyone that says anything about about the church. That's they're, They just immediately assume that they're possessed by the devil. Sure. And, or they're living in sin or something like that. Yeah. yeah well, you know, on, on my, uh, after my mission, you know, when I met people who left the church... I immediately assumed that the only reason they left the church is because they wanted to live a, live a life of wanton sin. Sure. And I thought that was the only reason for leaving the church. And, you know, and, I mean, sure, I'd, I'd had doubts at that point, but uh, I still thought that, no, that's the only reason people leave the church because they, they, they want to sin. And I, I realized that's not even not the case at all. And I thought the same thing. Um, I was always told that they were evil and they... You know, they were living in sin or they just couldn't keep a certain commandment. But when I started meeting people who left the church, I found out quickly that they were a lot like me and they were just questioning. And they had questions that cannot be answered. Sure, I'm, I'm, I'm positive there are some people who leave the church for things like adultery or, you know, excommunicated or something like that. But the, the people I did meet, I found out that they were a lot of more salt of the earth type people and just very, very good people. So that's. That kind of took that. Uh, that kind of took that the the steam out of their cells there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so, I know what you mean by that. Definitely. I never really until uh, until after my mission, or actually, I guess on my mission, I'd never actually talked to anybody who had left the church until I was on my mission. And before my mission, I was under the impression that that you know it was very few people that left the church, and it was. Uh, and then on my mission, I realized that there's a lot of people that leave the church. And, you know, the, my mission, while it, maybe it wasn't the best thing to do going out, and, and for the retrospect, I think it was bad going out and telling people that, uh, trying to get them into the church. Uh, but since I now know it's not true. However, I did learn a lot of valuable things on my on my mission. So, mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I too learned a lot of valuable things in the church. I, I learned how to public speak for one thing. I was never, never, never able to do that until I joined the church, and now I have no problem with it. And I always found it easier to speak in front of a crowd of five hundred as opposed to 
an Elder Scorn with 30 for some reason. But it, that, I did learn a lot of things. I learned a lot about service because I didn't live a very service-filled life when I was a teenager and young adult. I was kind of selfish and did my own thing. You ever, you ever get called on without any kind of warning to give a talk in sacrament or some, or or something like that? Oh, yeah, right after marriage. We had the bishop show up to our house on a Saturday and ask if we could speak. Yeah. And I told him no at first, but then I felt bad and called him up and said, look, we'll do it, okay? Because See, I, I felt a, really bad. I had it worse than that. I mean, I right before my mission, and it was state conference, and we had um, uh, two or three of the Quorum of the Twelve visiting and a bunch of the 70 and a whole bunch of, you know, high-ranked members uh, visiting our stake. And my uh, stake president just called on me and said, okay, now we're going to hear hear from uh, Elder Curl, who was about to go on his mission. And so, and they had me come up and he told me I had five minutes and I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> five oh, minutes, wow, five horrible. minutes, so much, so much pressure. I've got five minutes to fill in state conference with all these people and general authorities. And I tell you, I was, I was, uh, I was not exactly comfortable. That's kind of nerve wracking, but the current temple president of the Cedar City Temple where we live, the temple was just built not too long ago. Uh, he was in Area 70, and he was in our ward. And one time, I was, my wife and kids and I were about to give a talk, and I heard the bishop say, look who's here. And he runs down real quick to meet this man who I'd never meet. Then they announced him as a member of the 70. That was nerve-wracking, too, so I understand that. But that was the... That's probably the your case was definitely a lot worse than mine if you were around some uh, high ranking general authorities. But um, talking ended up going well, and I, I I'm still friends with that man till this day. He's actually a pretty good guy. But um, yeah, there's a lot of times when you're put on the spot for sure. Well, if you <clears throat> a little bit off topic here slightly, but if you haven't lost any friends yet for leaving the church, uh, you probably will. Mm-hmm. I. Uh, some, I had some friends that I was extremely good friends with, and you know I, I considered them family almost. And uh, when I left the church uh, and stopped, just didn't believe in anything. They still wanted to be my friends, but mm-hmm. when they learned that I became born again, they decided that they didn't want anything to do with me, and they even uh, they won't re- they won't return my phone calls or letters, and they won't even and they even uh, unfriended me on Facebook. Well, yeah, we're expecting a little of that, but we're not overly social anyway. Um, we do know, we've known these people for like 10, 11 years, a lot of them, but the, the ward did split off about two years ago, and 85% of the ward we originally knew actually went to a different ward, same building, but uh, then they moved a whole different area into our section, little section. But we did run into some friends of ours at the store the other day, and the husband's been inactive for quite a while, and we mentioned to the lady who's actually the young women's president that we are attending a different church. And she says, Oh, I work with someone who goes to that church and I've been thinking about going. Really? So yeah, that's pretty fascinating to think about, but her husband's been inactive for a while. And actually when I was active, my son was still plotting a mission. Um, I went to her and said, where's brother so-and-so at? And she said, Oh, he's no longer coming to church. And I said, well, he's still a good man. And she had tears in her eyes and said, thank you for telling me that because people are asking me if I'm going to divorce him. And I said, why? Why would they say that? And I'm sure it's not everybody doing that. 
to be fair. I'm sure the leadership of the church never thinks that way because we've known the bishop for quite a long time. But there are people out there that really feel that way. And to be completely fair, a lot of times people judge the church on things that's actually not the church its members do on their own. Some of the things that the church is being based on is more of a cultural thing and not and is not official doctrine, especially if you go into places like uh, like Hawaii. When I was in Hawaii on my mission, there is a lot of things that they would do that was actually against the rules of the church, like the, you know, there was a bishop that was ordaining young men to the priesthood without interviewing them and giving people temple recommends without interviewing them. And when one of the missionaries complained about it, he got ups- the bishop got upset with him and said, hey, that's the Salt Lake City way. This is the Makaha way. And then when the elder told him that the Salt Lake City way should be the only way, he got so upset with him, he kicked him out of his house, and he called the mission president and demanded an, uh, that missionary get transferred right then. Wow, that's crazy. Well, we did know regional differences as well. When we lived in Missouri, we attended a branch in, in uh, Chillicothe, then a ward in St. Joseph. The ward in St. Joseph was actually really great. The people were very close-knit and, we, you know, good people. Now, the branch in Chillicothe, they... They were talking in uh, Sunday school about children wearing sleeves and pant legs down to their ankles and wrists. <laughs> and we said, well, that's not church doctrine. And they said, well, that's what we believe here. It's like, well, it's just not the way it's supposed to be. And apparently someone from, yeah, the, the ter- some, they sent someone from Kansas City to take over, actually, uh, take over that branch because they were teaching false doctrine. But my wife is actually one of the reported that, so... We definitely notice regional differences with people, um, and the, the culture here in Utah is a lot different than a lot different than uh, out of state, or as, as they like to call it, the mission field. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of guilt going on with, especially with the, the family thing right now. But I don't know. There, there's I, I won't ever I won't ever bash the church. You know, I'm not going to sit with somebody and just. Because I had enough of that in Missouri when we used to take the missionaries out. We would have people come up and, you know, some wannabe preacher come up and Bible bash with us. Mm. And nine times out of ten, I knew the Bible enough to where I could use what I knew to shut them down pretty quick, you know. Well, not only that, but, well, arguing with somebody, like yelling at them and stuff never helps. But also another thing is is that um, telling a using the Bible to prove to an LDS person that their church is true usually does not work because the Bible is not held to the same weight as the rest of the standard works because they don't believe it was translated correctly. And they have all these uh, extra things like the Joseph Smith translation. So the as the Bible is, as it was printed, they don't believe it is inerrant or anything. And so using it the Bible to prove them wrong as does, usually doesn't have very good results anyway. That's very true. But I've also, you know, noticed that there's a lot of people that are, uh, a lot of Christians that don't know the Bible as well as they think they do either. That's and I true. always encourage people to know your stuff before you try to bash at people because there's a lot of LDS people that really live their faith and that really know scripture very well. Your wife now, she believes in the, uh, She's pretty much done with the church now? Yes, she is. Um, she's still adjusting to this new church we're going to. But And she says, I don't know for sure if I'm going to go to that church, but, you know, I, I do like it. She's still, she, she's definitely done with the church, but she's trying to find what she's going to be doing after as well. 
So well, that's not etched in stone yet. Yeah, it's, well, it's kind of a big culture shock too. I mean, because it's like I sitting in church today. I had a realization that you know, going to LDS church, I never did enjoy going to church. I always kind of hated it, but I went because it was an obligation. But I always really hated sacrament meeting, and I never quite could put it into words exactly why I hated it until today. And it occurred to mm-hmm. me that the big reason why I always hated it is that the the average Latter Day Saint sacrament meeting is all about what we did wrong and the average christian service is not about what we did wrong it's about what jesus did for us absolutely and that is a big reason it's like the whole time it's like it's all about making you feel making you feel guilty and where most of the christian where christian services typically it's not about making you feel guilty so like where i go to church now uh, it's Sure, everybody knows that people are falling short of God, but the but the uh, main point is is like the good news of what what God has done for us. It's a celebration of what God has done, not a not a uh, beat yourself over the head every day because we know that we did wrong. Absolutely, and what I liked about this church we were attending is that they had a verse by verse Bible lesson, basically, and he'd read out the Bible, then he'd compound on what uh, the Bible had said expound excuse me not compound and I, I always appreciated that and he wasn't bashing anybody he wasn't telling us we're all worthless sinners and you know we had to do this and that to get to jesus christ it was we're saved because of jesus christ and not after all we can do but that because christ died for our sins that we are saved yeah so that's what i point out every chance i get is that it's all about it's all about, like, have you ever read the Miracle of Forgiveness? <laughs> well, in that Miracle of Forgiveness, uh, it says that, uh, Spencer W. Kimball says in Miracle of Forgiveness, that, it's, that if and when you are forgiven is all dependent on you, how much works you do, and, uh, and, how, and it, how humble you are, and all these other things. And he said it could be, it could be weeks or months or years or even decades before you receive a positive assurance that you have been forgiven. He's saying it's all about you. That takes Jesus out of the equation. I have to come to the conclusion that Spencer W. Kimball did not know what miracle or uh, meant because I work a full-time job, and when I get paid every week, I don't say, man, it's a miracle that I got paid. No, because I worked for it and I expected it. And so if you're forgiven... You're not forgiven of anything if you worked it off. So it's not a miracle. It's that you worked it off. Not to mention, I felt like the biggest scumbag after reading that book because of all the things listed as sins. I mean, you know. Well, you're supposed to. You're supposed to feel bad. That's part of the part of the yeah, aim of the exactly. book. I definitely agree with that. But, I mean, it's not that complicated. And I've, I've known this for quite some time, but I, I was lulled into just believing and just doing what I was supposed to do. Back in like back in January, I talked to my father-in-law, and I told him I was struggling. And I didn't talk to him after this because he said, you know, I told him I'm going through the motions. He said it's okay to go through the motions. Just keep going through the motions because that's how you learn things, and that's how you just keep doing is by going through the motions. Basically, you know, I know we're troubled teenagers. They would tell them if they were acting out, said, look, just if need be, fake it till you make it. They're basically saying, just stay out of my hair, and just do what you're supposed to do, and that's. It didn't work with them, and it's definitely not going to work with me as far as the gospel is concerned. I'm not going to fake it, you know, until 
just to go go along to get along anymore. That's that's where I got tired of everything. Well, that bothered me a lot when they had always say about a testimony that a testimony is gained in the bearing of it. So basically, you tell yourself, tell it yourself, and everybody else, you believe it long enough, and you'll eventually yeah. believe it. And that was problems like when I, I joined the church partially to spite my father, and uh, I never did have a spiritual witness that it was true. So I, but I kept going, and I wanted to believe it was true, but I never did get a spiritual witness. So eventually. You know, I'd asked about that, and they, I was told that I didn't get a spiritual witness because I already knew it was true, and therefore God didn't see any reason to give me a spiritual witness because I already knew it. But then eventually I determined it was more like the uh, emperor's new clothes where uh, where there were no clothes, but everybody said they saw them because they didn't want to be the only one, and it was that way with the testimony. I mean, everybody said, I've had the spiritual testimony that's true, the spiritual witness, because they didn't want to be the only one that didn't have it, and they were assuming that everybody else did, but everybody everybody is assuming that everybody else has felt it, and they haven't, and it's, yeah. That's another thing I always found funny in Fast and Testimony meeting, when people would say, I know that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. And I sometimes think to myself, well, if you know it, why do you got to say it? It just goes without saying. You know, you don't, people, Christians don't go around saying, I know God or Jesus died for my sins because they know it. And it's not, not just little kids either. It's adults that would say that. I know the church is true. And it's like, well, do you really? You know, it's funny. It's like they always say, I know this is true. We're, we're Christians. We don't say, I know, I know it's true. We just say it is true. You know, it's like. We state it as a matter of fact. God died on the cross uh, for our sins. He rose on the third day. Um, with uh, with LDS Church, it's all well. I know this because it's all about what you what you uh, believe personally. It's like of the utmost importance, and that was so. They put so much such a big emphasis on your personal Absolutely. testimony. And I remember telling my wife one day, I whispered to her, I said, well, you know, they sound like they're trying to convince themselves more than other people. And, you know, she just shook it off like, oh, whatever. But, yeah, definitely. I can Testimonies again in the of it. <laughs> I, always, I always dread a fast testimony meeting, to be honest with you. You know, you always have that one that would get up and feel like they needed to confess their sins to everybody, too. That used to drive me crazy. So, Though, probably the word... The craziest fast and testimony meeting I've ever been on is uh, on my mission. And the high counselor got up and he spent, he nobody left early because they felt bad doing so, but he was up there for an hour and 45 minutes talking about birthing oh my pigs. Gosh. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. I mean, it was just, it, it was, it was, it was really horrible. And then, uh, he got so bad about saying things he wasn't supposed to that the bishop and the state president told him he couldn't. But, you know, it's one of the many examples of people doing things that aren't exactly what the church would have them do. And like I say, if you're going to be fair, to be fair, you can only judge the church on things that that church. And so there's a lot of people who believe things that aren't official church doctrine. Like there's, I think, I would think it would be a fair statement to say the majority of the members of the church do not believe that they can that they're going to be a god or that there are more than one gods more than one god or that god used to be a man i don't i think the majority of the members don't believe that and a lot of them don't even know the church believes it but it is official doctrine that the church believes it so well i know a guy who thinks the 10 tribes are going to come down in spaceships literally 10 lost tribes 
and that blew wow. my mind to hear that. So, I mean, there's a lot of. I've never I, heard that's that. That's the first one. time, and I was like, "Well, really, guy?" And he says, "Yeah, I do believe this." And he showed me some scripture to show me why. It's like, oh, okay, but <laughs> yeah, you know, I, there, I do agree with you to a large point, though, that uh, you know the church is getting a bad rap a lot of the time because of the members as well. But I also we're just taught to believe that a church is only as good as its membership as well. That's true. But, I mean, the church has plenty of things to judge it on without the people who are doing things that the church doesn't actually teach. I mean, if you want if you want to know that the church isn't true, all you need to look no further than, than yes. Brigham Young. I mean, and people always take up for that and say, well, he was just speaking as a man, and I point them to the journal or to Doctrine and Covenants uh, Official Declaration 1. Doctrine and Covenants is a official church doctrine, canonized scripture, and I tell them that it's show them in there that it says that the prophet of the church can never lead the church astray because as soon as he tries to lead the church astray, he will immediately be removed from his position. And I said, and after all these things that Brigham Young said, he was in the church for many, many years for, as a prophet from then on. And so either, either this statement is not true, or Brigham Young was not leading the church astray, or well, I, I fully he wasn't a prophet in the church he was saying, true. especially about the Adam God. You know, theory. it's basically one of those three. Yeah, there's no doubt, and he was trying to teach it as oh, doctrine. Oh yeah, yeah, he, he said it. it. But I mean, there's no way to explain it away without making people doubt, other than to fudge it over, just like they did the essays, and to try to get their spin on it and everything. But from what I understand, the essays were actually written because the there's a lawsuit against the church for fraud right now. And I don't know much about that. That's just something I heard recently. And when I told the bishop that, he's, yeah, there's a website apparently hmm. that's talking well, about putting a lawsuit. Well, I didn't hear about that Some either. people are trying to get their tithing back because they felt the church is a fraud. I would highly doubt that any judge would get have them give their tithing back because— and the reason I say that is because— um, the church, even though they say that you have to give ten percent to be in good standings, they don't. They don't actually force you to give the money. I mean, you feel like you're forced, but you're not really forced. And so, oh, I, I think legally it would be considered a free will offering. I mean, biblically it's not a free will offering, but legally I think it is. That's been the consensus, but there's still people trying. Apparently, and the church is. Uh, they're saying that the church right now is. Putting the essays, put the essays out there so they can't be accused of fraud in the future, and that they're basically putting it on the membership, saying, "We have it here, so you know what you're getting into." And anyone who gets baptized, you know, post 2013 when the essays started coming out. But that's just what I've been told lately. I don't whether it's true or not. I mean, I don't really know 100%. I would never be part of a lawsuit because I. What I gave, you know, I gave willingly, and I would never consider being a part of that. I wouldn't either, honestly. I mean, I have—I would never either. But have you ever heard, though, the, you know, the thing the church says about, yes. you know, you don't give meat to babies, you give them milk? And, and so, like, when you first join the church, they tell you the most basic things, and then as you get farther yeah. into the church, they tell you the more advanced doctrines. Well, on, on, on my mission— People would often ask us about us about the church believing that God was used to be a man and that people could become gods, and I didn't know how to answer because I knew that if I told them we believed it, that it would possibly make it so they didn't want to learn more about the church. So I asked my mission president, and my mission president said, 
well, when people, I said, what, President, what should I say when people ask me about this, about this doctrine? He said, tell them we don't believe it. And I said, but we do believe it, Why? President. And he said, yes, we do. <laughs> I have never read any official church policy that says that you should ever lie to anybody about what the church believes. Sure. And I put that all on my mission, President, and not on the church. But a lot of them, I know a lot of them do that because they're yeah. doing whatever they think they should to protect the church. I mean, church would probably throw him under the bus for that if it ever came to a to a lawsuit. But well, absolutely, he was doing what he thought would protect aren't the church. Take the rap for that. No, no. I mean, well, just like yeah, we, we so live, uh, we live very close to where the Mountain Meadows massacre yeah. happened. Hey, I don't know if you ever heard about that. It's a kind of a black eye. I I did, and you know what? A lot of people get irritated with me because I say this, but I, I firmly believe that Brigham Young did not want the people killed. I believe that they acted independent of Brigham Young's orders. Uh, I believe Brigham Young just wanted them to get the people out of there and cause no trouble. I do believe that Brigham Young covered it up after the fact, but I do not believe that Brigham Young in any way wanted the people killed. And I believe that I believe when the church says that Brigham Young told them to just escort them through and help them to get through safely, I firmly do believe that. I don't believe that Brigham Young had any intent of killing anybody, and I think that well, when I they did kill so. him, that it was I against mean, but Brigham Young's There's Man's a lot orders. of people that do think John Lee was basically the scapegoat, like we were talking about a minute ago, that the leadership's never going to take responsibility. I do hope so. That, that I do hope that Brigham Young never did that. But I, at this point, I'm not sure anymore, <laughs> just because of things I found out lately. You could be right, too, though. Absolutely. I, I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong, but, you know, I'd... I mean, I don't. But ju- I just say because, <clears throat> because I don't see. No. It doesn't seem like that would have been a win for the church. I mean, to me, it doesn't seem like that would have. And Brigham Young was a was a calculating man. I mean, he was an extremely brilliant man, and he thought about everything before he did it. He didn't just make snap decisions, and that seemed like it was kind of a snap decision, and that it was, and it didn't. And uh, it did not help the church then, and it did not, and it does not help it now. And I don't think that's something Brigham Young would have done. Not because I think Brigham Young had a outstanding morals, because I don't. But I don't think Brigham yeah. Young did that because well, it I, I was not in any well. would not in any way help the church. It's, around here, though, it's you know, there's a lot of either around here, either you're LDS or you're not, basically. And the non-members are very, you know, cra- yeah. crazy about the Mount Meadows thing. And I, I'm starting to hear a lot from both sides of this <laughs> issue. And it's, it's still a thing till this day, and it happened many, many years ago. I mean, I, I did a lot of research on the Mountain Meadows Massacre, and it, I mean, it was a truly horrible thing. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and the people who orchestrated it were definitely active church members. But sure. where the disagreement comes, I mean, the church doesn't even deny that it happened or that church members did it. The church is The church just contends that it was that it was by the time the uh, that they sent somebody to ask Brigham Young, and by the time he got back with the orders from Brigham Young to tell him what to do, the people had already been murdered. Mm-hmm. I've heard of so. that, too. Well, it's funny. They had a statue of John Lee out in front of the Washington City uh, Community Center for quite a long time until, I don't know how many years ago it was, but they finally removed the statue of him. I mean, wasn't he the only one that ever got, he's the only one that ever got, uh, arrested or prosecuted for that thing and there was he was hung for it and it was i heard as many years after the fact too that he was finally 
process, young for it. I mean, there's a so. lot of people involved, and he was the only one that took the rap, so. Yeah. Definitely a black eye on the history of the church, and definitely something that uh, some fuel people used to add to the fire. Uh, Porter Rockwell's <laughs> another one that people like to bring up when they're talking, being critical of the church. Oh, yes, absolutely. The church does admit a lot of the things that Porter Rockwell did, but they don't necessarily say that it was a good thing. They just say that he did them. Like when there was a mob chasing a bunch of the uh, saints when they were in Missouri, Porter Rockwell turned around and charged the other direction and shot all of them. And then he came back and he's and then he came back and said, what are you all running from? I've heard a few things about Porter Rockwell, and I was actually kind of fascinated with his story, but um, yeah, I don't know much about that otherwise. He was a, and he was a childhood friend of uh, Joseph Smith. I didn't know that either. He was Joseph Smith's bodyguard for a long time, and then after Nauvoo, when he became Brigham Young's bodyguard when they went out to Salt Lake. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it was it was definitely a colorful character in the and um I guess he had a really high pitched voice and people used to make fun of him for it and then they would immediately realize that was his mistake because he had a high pitched voice but he was definitely a yeah. a tough guy and he would beat him up for it. But I guess in those days if if a man has a high pitched voice he'd have to be tough. Like the <laughs> like the Johnny Cash song A Boy Named Sue. Oh yes. <laughs> so do you think that do you think that your uh, in-laws will ever wind up, any of them will wind up leaving the church? Honestly, I highly doubt it at this point, but anything's possible because, I mean, my wife, like I said, she she was, uh, she realized she wasn't as devout as she thought she was, but I, I never thought she would ever do what she did either, and, but it did happen. Um, I guess anything is possible. I can't. Right now, I can't see it though, especially my father-in-law, because everything they do—it's it, not just a—it's not just a church; it's a lifestyle. That's true. And you become so immersed in it if you allow yourself to be, that it becomes part of who you are, and everything you do. And you do think of—I shouldn't say this. I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't do this because. This you know the culture basically. You know when it's I was not even so much. when I was married. You know I was tried to force my wife to realize that she was didn't believe as much as she believed. And when I got her to realize that, she got mad at me. It's like one of the things I said. Asked her. I said, "What if the? What would you do if the? At that time it was it was a uh, Monson. I said, "What would you do if President Monson said that because." I'm not faithful to the church that you have to become his wife and and become one of his wives. And she said, oh, well, I would say he's a follow-up prophet. And I said, well, what if the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and the entire First Presidency agreed with him? And she said, well, I I'd still, I'd still w- wouldn't believe it. And I said, if you disagree with the Quorum of the Twelve and the First Presidency, then you don't actually believe the church. And so she got mad at me for pointing that out. But then she said, well, even if it's not true— uh, even if I knew it wasn't true, I would still choose to believe it. Yeah. I could definitely see that. I mean, anything I've ever pointed out to a lot of people, they, I'd one tell me flat out that, hey, I'm just not going to believe anything I could say. It's like, okay, well, that's your prerogative there. 
and I think my definitely my father-in-law would be the same way. I mean, it's um, it's sad, um, but you know, it's like that getting hostile with people when they don't want to believe that never helps at all. I can't remember which article of faith, but it talks about we believe in allowing people to worship according to the dictates of their own conscience, and I don't see a lot of that happening in the church because there are people that are ostracized and um, disfellowshipped, excommunicated, whatever. But not just that, but the the neighbors don't want anything to do with them. Well, to the way that they justify that is that they say, well, you're free to believe whatever you want, but that doesn't mean there's not going to be consequences. I mean, you're free to make, sure. they, they like to say that you're also free to jump off of a, of a bridge, but you, once you jump off the bridge, you can't choose, you can't decide what the consequences are going to be. Yeah, I definitely heard that not too long ago, the consequences of your actions. So, but... I mean, it's it doesn't seem very Christ-like to me to, to shun people, but you know, like I said, we're not very we're not really social butterflies anyway. So if people want to, you know, not want not talk to us. That'd be fine. So now that you're out of the church and you're going to a non-denominational church, do you feel closer to God than you did when you were in the church? Absolutely. Um, I feel God every moment of every day, almost. And when I think maybe I shouldn't say you know, when, I'm, when I'm driving or something, someone cuts me off, which Southern Utah has some crappy drivers, I'm here to tell you. But I, I you know, sometimes I get angry and then I'd be like, well, I better, you know, not do this because of the cultural thing, basically, because people are watching and it's kind of a smaller town. People know me here and it's like, I don't want to be seen as flipping somebody off or getting angry. But then I think now I think, well, what would, what would God have you do? And yeah. I'm more worried about what God thinks than what other people think. And see, that's one thing I really like about the whole, about being born again is that is that it's not about your works. Your works don't save you. You don't do good works because you think that you're going to be saved by them. You, it's that as a natural, as a result of being saved and becoming a new creature in Christ, you want to please God, and so it's and so your works you do the kind of good things that God would want you to do. Because you were saved, not because you think those good works will save you. Very true. And I've also noticed that in the non-denominational church, when they call you brother, and not everybody does that, but they treat you like a brother. Yeah. And, and the, even in our ward we've been in for a long time, the brother and sister are kind of like a title. And you're yeah. expected to call people that. But it's more of a feeling than another church, in this non-denominational church. You, you feel that you feel like a church family. You know, I've, I've enjoyed going to church over the last couple months more so than I have in years because I have not enjoyed going to the LDS church. I've not enjoyed, I usually find myself leaving priesthood earlier, you know, Sunday school kind of just walking out and hanging out in the hallway because I really don't feel I want to be there. I don't really like the regimentation as much. And, and the, it's, it just seems too restrictive to me. And, I don't know that is, if that makes sense it, to you. It does, yes, absolutely. But you know, with, uh, with the church I've been attending, you know, my my family's a little surprised that the preacher would say, "Let us pray," and he'll start praying, and they're like, "Well, that's not an opening and closing prayer." So he just all of a sudden prays. It's like, yeah, that's the way it is, and we don't do all of these and thous and talk to God like you would a friend. 
You know, that's a big thing since since being born again Christian instead of uh, being a member of the church. I feel like I have an actual relationship with God instead of instead of uh, speaking to him like uh, a judge. I mean, when you go up before a judge and you're afraid that they're going to pass down sentence, obviously you're going to call him your honor and you're going to speak as politely as you can and you don't say anything that might upset them. But I firmly believe that we should talk to God as we would a person and be honest with him. And you know what? And if we're mad at God, God already knows we're mad at him. So why pretend we're not? I mean, uh, if we're honest with God and speak to God and instead of being caught up in formalities, we actually have a discussion with him. I think that's a better way to pray. I mean, you don't, Absolutely. you don't go up to your, you don't go up to your parents and, and start using these and those and, and have a preset format of how you talk to them. I mean, you just talk to them. Very, very true. Very true. And also, you know, recognizing that um, Christ is, is the uh, mediator with the father and that's biblical. You don't have to have a church to communicate with the Father. That's absolutely yeah. true. And see, I don't go to church because I think it's required. I go to church because, well, it is, it's good to have a community of believers and you help each other. And I don't think that, it, that life is supposed to be a solo sport. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't think you have to go to church to be saved. It's very true. And the Bible says, well, two or three gathered in my name, I am in the midst. And I can't remember the exact scripture that quotes that, but um, and it, it does feel good to to know that I don't need a church and I don't need to do all these things to get back with with uh, God. Well, I really appreciate talking with you, Aaron. I'm glad that you were able to come on. Is there any uh, final thoughts you'd like to you'd like to leave here before we uh, part? Well. Um, I'm just very grateful to be given this opportunity to tell my story. I definitely appreciate it. And uh, I can't think of any formal um, final thoughts, but yeah. Well, uh, I just appreciate the t your time and uh, I appreciate what you're doing. And uh, it was very, very nice talking to you. Well, thank you very much for coming on and uh, God bless you in your endeavors. And I'll, and I'll, uh, and I'll pray for the rest of your family that they, um, come around i appreciate that we definitely need it at this point so all right well thank all you right. very much and you have a blessed day you as well thanks for listening to the recovering faith podcast please rate and review this show and share it with your friends and family you are loved